going on, everybody? Welcome back to What's Next. Even though Neil's not doing the intro, don't worry, it's still the same What's Next. Um, this week we have Vinny Massana on the, on the podcast, and he's a former baseball player out of Long Island, turned journalist, from journalist to business owner, and now he's here to tell us about how he's got to where he is. He's, he talks about some adversity he's gone through, which seems to be a recurring theme um, as we get more people on the podcast. He talks about what it's like to start a business without having any business background and the, some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Um, he talks about small taxes that, uh, tactics he's gone through as a business owner, such as finding a sponsor, getting some money, advertising on his website. You know, he's a journalist and he's making a lot of his money on advertising and he should have tell us some of the ways he's, he's been successful in landing those deals. And, he, and of course, he talks about some advice he'd give to any college athlete who may, be want, who may want to start their own business. But before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to Matt Keogh over at Tricon Sports and Tricon Inc. Uh, he put together a sweet set of hats for us with a What's Next logo on them. So everybody listening to this now, look out, be on the lookout for them. Um, hopefully they'll be on sale within the next couple weeks or a, couple mo- or a month or so, but Pay attention to our Instagram, What's Next Pod, and you'll see some sweet hats that hopefully you guys can can purchase and flaunt around. Alrighty, so let's dive into it. Um, you guys are gonna you're you're in a real you're in for a real treat with this one. Um, it's only about a half hour long, so make sure you listen to the whole thing. Here it is, the one, the only, Vinny Masana. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we have Vinny Masana. Um, he's a former college baseball player um, turned president of an online publication called Access Baseball. Vinny, thank you so much for coming on, man. Kevin, my pleasure. I uh, listened to a couple of your previous podcasts. You guys do a great job with it, so I'm really excited to be aboard. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, I wish I wish um, some of the other guys could be here, but it's just me here, so I'll try to do my best here to fill the void if some will say. Um, so, hey, man, just let's get going. Just tell us your story. Tell us about, you know, getting recruited to play in college baseball and then any setbacks and then how you got into founding Access Baseball. Yeah, so it's kind of a story like a lot of other people. You know, I played, wanted to play college baseball, wanted to be a professional pitcher. That was kind of like, you know, my dream, my whole childhood, big meth fan, uh, you know, dreamed of being in the big leagues. And for a long time, it kind of seemed like it was destined to be, you know, I was, you know, had a really good high school career, went undefeated my senior year, all state. But on um, the previous year, I had an injury. I missed my whole junior year because I tore my uh, UCL, you know, the, the Tommy John ligament. But I didn't need it because uh, it wasn't a complete tear. So just really ended up missing the year. But uh, it was kind of detrimental to my future because a lot of the schools that uh, had been interested in me, you know, they went the other route, went with pitchers that actually were healthy. So they wanted to go with the, you know, the safe bet. So I ended up staying, wanted to stay local, went to Farmingdale State College, which is a um, a private school. Um, I'm sorry, a state school in New York. And um, they were coming off making it to the College World Series the previous year. So I was really excited. Um, you know, their coach, Keith Osick, was in the major leagues with the Pirates for many years. So, you know, I was really excited. But, um, you know that wasn't my 
that wasn't my destiny to be in the big leagues, I felt like. So, you know, as time went on, I transferred to Adelphi. Uh, I had a better journalism program there. Um, wish I could say that I, you know, dominated and played baseball and made it to the big leagues, but that didn't happen. So I needed to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. So I, um, you know, we'll leave that for, for later on in the conversation. But, yeah, that's that's the way my baseball career shook out. Ended up playing two years at Farmingdale, and then, um, you know, I had, had to find out what I wanted to do after that. So talk about, so in episode two, actually, we had uh, a kid named A.J. Adamcheck, and he, um, he also had a Tommy John injury when he was playing. Um, and he had some good stories about, you know, it opened his eyes up into a new career for him, and now he's a acupuncturist. But talk about the, the injury itself and, like, its effect on you physically, mentally. Well, I actually had two injuries. Um, the first one was was the elbow. So I ended up injuring my shoulder at the end of my Farmingdale career, um, which lingered into Adelphi, and that's why I didn't play. But the first injury that was that was rough on me because at that point, baseball was my life. Um, you know, I had put all my eggs in that basket. The whole nine yards, the travel teams, the showcase circuits. You know, um, you know going putting everything into baseball pretty much you know where that was that consumed my life especially that happening in 11th grade and the funny thing is the year prior if you counted the the baseball season in school the summer and the fall I went 25 and 0 and you know it's hard to not have an inflated ego at 15 years old when you know that happens pretty much I thought I was on the right track at that point so when I got hurt and I had to miss my whole season the junior baseball season you know that was crucial and it was really it was really trying on me because I was like this is the only thing that I know how to do at that point I didn't put any you know emphasis on what life after baseball would be like and it was very tough pill to swallow knowing that there was a good likelihood that that was the uh you know the nail in the coffin for my career but I look at it as kind of like a blessing in disguise but at that point believe me at 15 16 years old that's not you know, a lesson that I was prepared to, um, you know, to, uh, that, that I even wanted to learn at that point. So it was very tough going back and forth to doctors and, you know, having to come home and knowing that, knowing that my friends and my family were wondering when I was going to be able to pitch. So it was very tough, difficult at that time. Right. I mean, I think, you know, all of us, you know, when we end the game, it's either an injury or obviously not a lot of us get to go play professional baseball, but typically it's an injury. And it's like, like you, you know, we all have to suffer some type of adversity in some way or another, right? And I think it's good for us. I mean, it opens up our eyes to something new. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll we'll talk further about you know what ended up uh, leading to access baseball, but that was the first bit of adversity that I ever faced. You know, everything was kind of on a silver platter up to that point. Having a father that uh, you know, did that was willing to spend the money on the private trainers, speed and agility, hitting lessons, pitching lessons, all that. So, you know, when you have adversity for the first time, you know, it's kind of like that first dosage of, of reality. But for a high schooler, it's tough. You know, you want you want to be out there with your friends and you don't want to have anything curtail your, your dreams. And at that point, baseball was the only thing that I knew. So, yeah, like you said, that's that was crushing to me at, at that age for sure. So was it, so was it the thought of... So what propelled you through that adversary? What's, what's some advice you may have 
give to somebody who may be going through something like that when they are in high school or they're, you know, they think that, you know, they're putting their heart and sweat into a game, whatever game it may be, and then something happens to them. What's something that you could, some advice you could lend to those people right now? Well, at that point of, of my career, I still, um, I still had another opportunity. So I ended up bouncing back. Um, like I said, I had a very good senior year, so I don't think that that was as much of a life, life lesson as it was when I had my shoulder surgery. So when I got transferred to Adelphi, I still was going to play baseball and, uh, uh, I tore my rotator cuff and labrum. So that was the nail in the coffin. And that's when I realized I needed to do something. So if I had to give anybody advice at that point, you always need to focus on your academics. It's just so much easier said than done because, you know, when you when you grow up upper middle class and you know everything's kind of made for you, it's it's just it's not a priority to, to be going to class and you may, maybe you don't put as much of an emphasis on it, but you can't understate how important it is to get those good grades and to focus on what life after baseball is going to be like, even when you're still playing, because you know there's there's no telling when it's going to end. I didn't plan on tearing my rotator cuff; it just you know it happens, and then your life gets thrown into flux. So at that point i really relied a lot on like music to just kind of you know help me get through those tough times and um but i do think the biggest bit of adversity was four months after that so i tore my rotator cuff in april of 2012 uh tried to come back didn't work out in september the coach cut me so right when we got back to school so that was my first time when now baseball is done that was it i had no other you know fallback option in January of 2013, my dad passed away. So I lost the two things that were really nearest and dearest to me in my life at that point, where I had, you know, a good relationship with him. I had baseball, and boom, they were both done. And that was when I said, I thought now everything was working against me. I went from like feeling like I had this, you know, gilded life to now all of a sudden, now everything's, everything that I cared most about was gone. So that was very difficult for me. And um, I needed a positive outlook at, at, at that point of my life. And then that's where my idea came from, um, which we could, we could jump into after this. I mean, just to take a step back real quick, um, we, we had a, uh, Adam Greenberg on a couple episodes ago, and he wrote a book called Get Up, and it's all about going, fighting through adversity and building a positive mindset. So this is really it's becoming a common theme as we interview more and more people that, you know, being positive, you know, not only can help you get through adversity, but it can help you realize some new, whether it be career paths or relationships, et cetera, that, that gets you on a new road. Yeah, you need you need something. It doesn't matter what it is. For me, it was baseball. Um, I needed something to a positive outlet. And, um, you know, my passion for baseball never wavered. I really just felt like I needed something that I could put my creative energy into. And really where the idea birthed, I remember I was in the Adelphi library. I was on a break and um, all my friends still played baseball at that point. You know, I was a senior, but I had a ton of friends that were still freshmen or sophomores or juniors and they had years ahead of them still. So I wanted to follow up on how they were doing. So pretty much I was looking at all the different websites. So there's 10, <clears throat> sorry, 10 NCAA affiliated colleges on Long Island. And I just found it very frustrating to to track them, you had to go on 10 different websites. So I go, you know what, let me kind of make like this Grand Central Station of Long Island Baseball News. So it was very basic, but 
I felt like I was onto something, you know, I was one website every Saturday, every Sunday, I would do a recap of, uh, the doubleheader, the action. And I felt like it was a really convenient thing for the baseball fan. Cause there's a lot of dots there that were in the same boat as me. They want to see how Stony Brook was doing, how, you know, Fordham, there's some good baseball over here. And I just felt like it was a very convenient thing to have one spot. And um, at that time, it was just a blog. It was free. It was WordPress domain. And um, it was just very, very basic at that time. And I didn't even think about monetizing it because that was so far in the future. But fortunately, I was in journalism classes. And one of my professors was like, you know, down the road, once you get to like 50,000 page views, you know, you could start thinking about monetizing. I was like, 50,000 page views? I go, I wasn't even getting 50 page views on an article. So it was so, it was so far-fetched at that moment. So that's why I never thought it was going to be a career for me. I always looked at it as, hey, if I do a good job with it, maybe a local paper will notice and pick me up. Or maybe if I get really lucky, they'll buy it. But there was really no value in it at that point. It really wasn't until much later on i mean I, I freelanced at some of the local papers i would submit the stories that i wrote um just to try to make some money get my name out there and um <clears throat> so i did that a lot of 2013 i freelanced at newsday and um it was still very basic though but that was that was the birth of the idea where i was like, like i think i could provide a lot of value to people just by having this grand central station of news so, so were you a journalism major in college? What was your major? Yes, I was journalism. Um, at Farmingdale, they didn't have that. It wasn't specifically called that. It was communications with a uh, with a focus on professional professional communications. So it was like you could go a, a number of different routes. Pretty much nobody went to Farmingdale with the intention of being a journalist. So they didn't have that major. It's a big agriculture school. It was... Uh, you know, a lot of kids got into law enforcement, so there wasn't a lot of writers. So that's a reason why I went to Adelphi, because they had a more specific um, major for that. They had journalism, they had a very good student newspaper, and I wanted to be a part of that. So at that time, that's why Adelphi was a really good fit, in addition to them having a good baseball program. So after the, the blog was was born, right, the, the original blog, it's now formed into more, right? And maybe give give the audience like the, the the quick primer on what Access Baseball is and what the mission of the of Access Baseball is. Okay, cool. So pretty much from that point on, things started really going flowing organically. I'll give you a quick rundown. So it was baseball on the island. I started doing feature stories on my friends because, like I said, a lot of kids were still playing. One of my good buddies, Dylan McNamara, was in the midst of a amazing season. He ended up getting drafted by the Yankees that year. So that was a really kind of a tipping point because now here was a legitimate player that I had access to. And I think that what really got me excited was that I had like this unprecedented access to good baseball players. And that year, I would want to say about eight kids from Long Island got drafted. So around the time that the draft was coming up, I started doing feature stories on a lot of the kids. The day of the draft, I was in like overdrive mode. I was right updating people as they got drafted, you know, putting what their stats were. So that's when I started getting these ideas where I could this could be a lot more. So in 2014 rolled around, I started, I said, you know what, I need to start going to these games because I didn't have any pictures of the players myself. Everything was uh, from the schools, um, their archives, and I just felt like if I want to be taken seriously, I have to start going to games. 
So I started going, writing about it, interviewing the players, interviewing the coaches. Now I started being a legitimate news source. Um, <clears throat> so then what happened was I got in touch with the local universities that had journalism programs. And I said to them, if you have kids that want to write for sports or want to pursue a career in journalism, I want to get them a on-the-job you know, training. They can actually cover sports because I wasn't able to do that. I had to write for pa local papers and do any sport. I had to do like volleyball when I was a senior in college, you know, football, sports that weren't my niche. So what I was offering was this unique experience where kids could go to games, cover it, and if they love baseball, it was specific to what they wanted to do. So that was a huge tipping point because then I got three kids. So now there was more Vinny, so to speak. They were, we were able to cover a lot more games, get a lot more page views, and now we started seeing a big difference. And then I said, all right, I need to make a social media account. So that was when Twitter was starting to blow up in 2014. Made a Twitter account, started putting the scores on there, the news, links to the articles. Now it was generating some. It was still small by you know website standards, but it was it was gaining traction. So in twenty, in the end of twenty sixteen, um, somebody had the idea to me and said, "Hey, if you ever want to expand, or even if you just want to have a stronger brand, you need to break away from on the island on the name because." It just puts a ceiling on you. So I had paid a website developer to revamp the site, make it look a little more modern, have uh, <clears throat> kind of mimic it after MLB.com, where, you know, the sliders, the articles will go on a three-second clock. So we did that, but he also came up with the name Access Baseball. He goes, I think it's a strong brand. It kind of fits in what you're trying to do, bridge the gap between the players and the audience. You're giving them access, right? And bigger picture, you could break off of Long Island. So I said, I think that's a great idea. So also what we did was he kind of integrated into a social network where kids can make their own profile pages. They can upload videos, put their contact information. And this is something that now becomes much more valuable to, to coach, college coaches and to the players because now I'm kind of a conduit to playing college baseball. So that was a major tipping point to me was – being able to expand what it was that I was already bringing to the table. Now it's kind of a recruiting site. And if a kid hits a home run and the parent happens to get it on tape or strike somebody out and it's on tape, they could upload it directly to the website. And that was, that was probably one of the biggest things that I've ever done. Interesting. So, so just if I'm a user, I just want to, I'm interested in it. So I just want to understand how it works, right? If I'm a if I'm a high school baseball player, I can make my own account, right? And then if I want to upload my videos, some information about myself, can I then send it to other colleges or do the colleges have to find me? Um, they, they have the option to do that. So it kind of mimics the same uh, functionality of, of a LinkedIn. I kind of looked at it as like LinkedIn for baseball players where it's a free service, but it's more of a social network. It was kind of a mix between like a social network and a recruiting site. And that's what I was so excited about was like if a kid was really of a significant player, he could send it to the coaches. So last year around this time, I started going around to all the, co the colleges, in, um, educating the coaches on it, telling them why it would be beneficial for them. So all the coaches started making their own pages. Now they could get in touch directly with the kids to, and vice versa. And now in my mind, it kind of blew the, blew the top off of it because 
you know, it could provide a very big service to people. But along those lines as well, it also became more um, appealing to advertisers. So I got body armor. Um, we kind of had a mutual friend with me and one of the local coaches knew the regional uh, sales director for body armor. So once I got them on board, that's kind of when the domino started falling because like body armor being a global company advertising on here. Now it wasn't so far fetched for me to go to local companies and saying, you know, pitching them advertising ideas. So I started generating money that way. So that was, that was a really big tipping point was starting to make money at that point. It's interesting. I just want to focus on that a little bit on the, the, how you go about getting a sponsor, right? You know, for all those of us business or entrepreneurs, um, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make money, and you, you, it, it appears that you um, identified a revenue-generating um, aspect for Access Baseball. So how did you go about the actual going to get a sponsor, and did you find it hard? Were you rejected at first? Like, what was that experience like? That's a great question. Well, first off, I'll say I had the benefit that I was bartending at the time, so um, whereas, you know, they say cash oxygen for a company i was able to survive by not making money in the beginning because i wasn't relying on this for money but obviously once it did make money you want to make more but to answer the question yes it was very discouraging at first um there were a lot of days where i went around pitching ideas to people and just as a rule of thumb you got to realize that they're not going to be as excited about your idea as you are for me i knew it was going to be big i knew that all the kids were on it i knew it was going to be they were going to be buying low on something that was going to become very expensive in time. And I was giving them very cheap prices. And a lot of people said, no, at that time, the people that were most interested were travel organizations, baseball facilities, people that sold baseball equipment because they had parallel demographics. So if you're looking for baseball players, if that's your, your target market, why not advertise where all these baseball players are looking at it every day? Because they weren't looking at my site for products. They were looking for their names. They are looking for their news. But it was also a great opportunity to expose them to the product. But it was very difficult. It's very discouraging when people say no when they're not as excited as you are because a lot of times they don't want to spend money or they don't see the bigger picture, which I saw. I wish I could have, you know, made it made it clearer to them that this was something that was going to be a very efficient economical buy for them you know it's going to be cheap you're going to reach a lot of people but in the beginning it was not it was not easy and it's very easier said than done to say keep your head down and and grind but for me at that time there were many times where i thought about giving up yes but then and then body armor was body armor the first one that said yes yes they were and then i started getting a couple of local colleges that wanted to advertise but i would say body armor was that was a major tipping point because to that point i never thought that anybody would trust me with with their money at that point especially at that point i was you know 23 years old i did not study business in school i did not study entrepreneurialism all this stuff kind of just happened organically so for them to do that it was kind of like getting a testimonial in the highest degree because they were actually paying for it they weren't just you know saying oh yeah uh access baseball is a great platform you know people knew that if they were willing to put their money on it and their name on it that it was legitimate so it was major it was a big 
turning point for me. I was reviewing your website as well, and I noticed that you also, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also hosted some tournaments. To is that Was that another way to uh, get your name out there? Yeah, talk a little bit about that too, because I thought that was a really good idea. <laughs> okay, so one night when I was bartending, this is where the idea came from. I was thinking about ways how to make this more legitimate. I didn't want to just be known as a blog. I didn't just want to be known as a news source. I said I need to start hosting events. That way I could put up pictures of it with people that have my brand on their on their jersey and not just anybody but the high the high caliber players so one night i was bartending and i was like i should host an all-star game which is easier said than done a lot of work goes into it and there's a company that does a high school all-star game so i wasn't gonna i wasn't disillusioned to think that i was gonna steal their thunder and steal their players so i said what's the next thing i said let's do a college all-star game but not just for anybody, for college seniors that have the chance to get drafted. So we started to put, I started to put that together. It took a long time. I had to get a venue. And just to show you another obstacle I had to overcome, how often does a, a college close? It's probably not, not very often. Of course, the school, that I, the school that I booked it for, Dowling, the game was supposed to be June 5th of 2016. Dowling closed on June 3rd of that year. So I didn't have you know, so I had two days now where I had already marketed it. I got all the players. I had to jump through a bunch of hoops because I didn't realize that juniors weren't eligible for the game. So I had to replace a lot of kids. I ended up getting a venue. It wasn't the one that I wanted, but I felt like it was a great sign that I was able to put it together at the last minute. And it kind of, I felt like it was a credibility builder that I was able to get all these top players. And one of the kids got drafted from it, Jonathan Mulford from Adelphi. And that was huge because... Now it showed that not only is he putting together this game, but hey, you might be able to continue your playing career if you're playing it. So Mulford getting drafted was huge because then the next year that I did it, seven kids wound up signing professional contracts, either drafted or <clears throat> or independent league. So in one year, you know, I built it up from this from nothing to a game where kids might want to be involved in it, you know, if they have any chance of playing at the next level. So I did, two, I did that game. I did an awards banquet for the top players. It was just kind of a, a way to have an end-of-the-year celebration, take pictures. I gave out an old Long Island team. 20 kids were on the team. They all showed up, had their coaches speak about, um, you know, what they meant to the team. And uh, that was another good, another good event. And then the third thing that we do, and I just recently added it in September, was our uh, home run derby. So I did a home run derby for the top high school players. And again, it was free to enter because I wanted to make sure that all the kids that were in it were significant players, not just the kids that you know were willing to pay. So I did it for, for free, and, and it was successful. You know, I had eight kids. They're all college-bound players, and some of them actually hit home runs. That's a good thing. You don't want a home run derby with no home runs. <laughs> Um, so, so that was both a, a chance for you to generate revenue and to get your name out there, right? Like, were you charging for the game? I charged the guests, which I felt like was kind of necessary because I wanted to make money out of it. But my biggest thing was I don't want to charge the kids because I don't want the top players to say, oh, well, I don't need to be in this. I'm already committed to college. Or I don't want to be in this because I'm probably going to get drafted and I don't need to pay. So I didn't want to eliminate anybody that could potentially be in it. 
most importantly, and B, by just by hosting it, it just was credibility. You know, it kind of filtered out anybody that might come along and do something similar that wasn't going to do an event. Now they know, hey, he's putting his own blood, sweat, and tears into this. And I think that's probably a big lesson I would I would tell people, even if you're not involved in baseball or sports in general, but, you know, hosting an event, even if it's a networking event with people that are influential in the community, is just so critical because it kind of shows you're willing to go that extra mile. And if you get those top players, now you're looked at as kind of this connector in the industry where, you know, your opinion matters. And I think, you know, it's not like it was the all-star game on Fox, but in our community with the people that know baseball, they know that I did a good job, I think. So I was very excited that I had this idea and put it to fruition and granted a lot of, uh, you know, turmoil happened, you know, with the school closing down and, you know, believe me, there was a lot of other small things, but that was the biggest thing. But, you know, just the fact that we were able to pull it off, I felt was, was tremendous. I love it, man. Um, it's really interesting. It's like, you know, the whole point of what's next is to, you know, we're, trying to figure out how people are forming new identities after after becoming after being an athlete and it seems like you went from athlete to journalist and then now to a business owner which is kind of a it's an abnormal transition from journalist to business owner right and it's just really cool to see that you're on top of all the journalism of your journalism background you have you're learning so much more about business right well i'll say Definitely didn't plan on, you know, when I majored in journalism, it's not like I said, oh, I'm going to start my own media publication. My intent was to get hired by an ESPN or a Newsday or Sports Illustrated to just be a number two. You know, I had no qualms with just being in my lane, just writing about baseball, interviewing baseball players, living that life. But the industry wasn't as welcoming as I hoped, you know, it, it was difficult. So, you know, there's other obstacles along the way, having a girlfriend, having to, you know, live with being underemployed, bartending. So I felt like a lot of the adversity that I went through pushed me to being more motivated and proving people wrong. And the, the easiest way I knew, I said, hey, if I can't, if I can't join them, I should try and beat them. So in a way, I felt like it, all the stuff that turned against me, you know, kind of made, made this what it is. It's great. And then, and then now, right now you're, you're starting to build the team at access, right? I'm, do you have employees? And if you do, I, we, I noticed that you did bring up, start to bring on some employees and what's that been like? You know, you're, all of us athletes love being part of a team and what's it like to build your own team? It's really exciting. Um, I would say the most important thing to building a team is you have to be enthusiastic. You know, if you're going to interview people and you don't come across as that you're buying into your own product, why would else, why would anybody want to work for you? You know, you need to be like overjoyed with like what you're, you know, what you're building. And I think that makes it a lot easier because you're like, Oh wow, if he loves it, then, you know, I love working for him. And there's just, there's a lot of people that are phonies or people that are lying, but I feel like when you're legitimately like excited about this, you can't, you can't fake that. So I think that was something that really, help people to want to be a part of it you know it doesn't hurt that a lot of people like baseball it's not like i'm you know telling them to go door to door selling 
you know, soap or something. Like you're you're writing about baseball. If, if you love baseball, you want to be a part of it. So part of me building the team though was like getting people that experts in the field. So one of the things that I did, um, I was fortunate that I used to get pitching lessons from a former major leaguer, Neil Heaton. He was a number one overall pick in the country in 1979, and he's from pretty much my backyard. So I kind of pitched him the idea, hey, you should be like the pitching analyst. You know, you're an expert in the field. Everybody respects you. And even though I only played Division Two, you were in the major leagues for 12 years. So it was an instant credibility builder having the support of a former major leaguer because everybody knows, you know, if he was willing to get behind it, now all of a sudden it's it's a little bit more legitimate. So from that point on, it kind of went to, all right, now I need a hitting guy. So I got Frank Catalanato, who was in the major leagues. He's from Long Island. Uh, I got a Sal Agostinelli, who's the director of scouting for the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, he's an expert in his field. I got Dr. Luca Podesta, who used to be an angel doctor. So now when there was an injury, I could go to these to him as an expert. When there's hitting drills, mm-hmm. I could talk to a former major leaguer. I think a big part of being a business owner is learning to delegate and knowing what your weaknesses are and what your strength is. Like for me, I wasn't a hitter. I'm not going to be disillusioned into thinking that I'm an expert in hitting. So there's really no shame in just like surrounding yourself with people that bring something else to the table that could complement your, you know, your skill set. For me, I like to write. I don't like to do the business side. So if I could bring in somebody that could help coordinate advertising deals, why not? You know, you got to be willing to sacrifice some money as long as it's going to bring in more in the long run. So I feel like it's tough in the beginning to say I'm not going to make all the profit. But like they say, you know, 100% of zero is zero. So if I would have said oh, I'm not splitting with anybody, but then maybe I wouldn't have got any advertising deals. So you got to be a compromise there. We need to delegate. And it's hard to do. I mean, I think any business owner who has an idea and they they see it from its inception all the way through, it's hard to give up some control, not just equity, right? But just control of like, I'm going to let you run this part and you run that part. I mean, it's it's tough to do. And I think that's part of, you know, becoming a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I think that's not just in, in, in business, but also in sports. You know, if you're a head coach, you know, look, Bill Belichick's a great head coach, but he's not, you know, in the weight room doing the, doing the strength and strength and uh, conditioning, you know, everybody kind of, you know, every leader I feel like needs to have several different, you know, lieutenants in charge. And, you know, when as time builds up, those people have bigger roles and they'll be able to be compensated more. But the biggest thing is in the beginning is having them buy into your system because then they're willing to go to battle for you. And when you do start, you know, making an impact they're going to feel like they had a role in that too and that you know they maybe had a big part to do with that if you know if they if they contributed which i try to make everybody on my team feel like they had you know a significant a significant impact as well Mm -hmm. and do you think you do you think your background as an athlete has helped you um become that type of leader and business owner like what 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 parts of being an athlete do you see or have you experienced translate well into what you're doing now? I would probably say dealing with adversity. Um, you know, when you're when you're a pitcher and you don't have a good outing, you know, you got to wait five days. And, like, it takes a lot of mental strength to 
to come back, work hard. Well, first of all, if it's work, putting in the work in between your starts, you know, getting over that initial disappointment. You know, in the major leagues, you see it right after a start. You interview a guy, he's very downtrodden and dejected, and that's human nature. But then you go to sleep, you start from scratch, you hit the reset button the next day. Now you got to run your polls. By the time that fifth day runs around, it's almost that last outing now occurred you got to have a short memory so I think that's one thing that helped me was hearing all those no's in the beginning and all the rejection and the people that didn't believe in me and look it just to go off of that point it was embarrassing at points you know picture you going out to you know dinner with your family telling them what you do if you're not successful it's embarrassing so it's kind of like the same thing of having a bad outing so I think that that was probably the biggest lesson that baseball taught me was dealing with adversity in business, though, but one thing that's easier is you don't have to deal with defense, right? I mean, if you're a hitter and you have a good swing on the ball, you can hit it right at somebody. But I feel like as a writer, you write a good article, nothing's preventing people from liking that article. If you have a good product, nothing's preventing advertisers from wanting to be a part of it. So that's the, the plus side is is in, in my line of work now, I don't have to deal with the external factors maybe that the game of baseball throws at you. So, so what's something you're most proud of with access or just in your life in general? What's something that you look back and you're like, damn, I did that really well. <laughs> now, look, I'll say, I know where you're getting at with the question, but I definitely wouldn't use the word proud. Cause I, you know, I don't think that I've made it by any means. I think I'm on the right track, but I would say probably just the fact that I had this idea and you take the first step, you know, you take a step back and you deal with that adversity and you take two more steps, you go back one. Just the fact that I didn't quit when when I initially had those obstacles. And that's definitely the hardest part is if you're not, until you gain traction, it's very easy to give up and just take a safe job, just make your money and just, you know, work for somebody else. But I would say just the fact that I continue to, to truck along when, when times were, were tough was is something that I'm very, very glad. I'll say that I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with, with that. I didn't let that to destroy me. And also the other thing is the weather. I mean, let's be honest, being in the Northeast, the weather's not ideal. I'm kind of lucky that that hasn't derailed me. Maybe if I was doing this, it would have, maybe the baseball season isn't as, as friendly. So, you know, sitting in those 30 degree, no, it's 30 degree games where, you know, the rain's coming down, maybe a little bit of snow. Those are things that I'm excited that I, you know, didn't let that derail me. It's hard to do, and I acknowledge you for it, man. It's like not everybody can get get themselves and pick themselves back up so quickly and so well the way you have. So I acknowledge you for that. Thank you. It's not easy. <laughs> I'll say. I can imagine. Um, so, look, we're, we're getting a little closer to the end here, but... Um, there's some questions that we ask every everybody we interview, so we'll dive into those. Um, if you could go back and talk to you know a current sophomore, junior, or senior in college who um, is a student athlete, but maybe realizes that playing professional sports isn't going to be for them, or maybe they've gone through a, a setback, um, what's a piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice that you tell them about how to figure out what's next after they're done playing? Well, it's a very it's a very good question. Um, 
Number one is if you're going to start a business, I think the first question you need to ask is, is there, are you able to survive making less money than you want? I mean, everybody wants to graduate and, you know, start paying off those loans. But a lot of times you're not going to do that if you're breaking into, you know, breaking into business. You have overhead, you have, you know, you, your, your sales aren't going to be there. So I think you got to be realistic with yourself and say, can I make less money than I want and still survive? You know, there's going to be external factors. Maybe your upbringing wasn't great. Maybe you need to pay you know, rent at home. Maybe, you know, you paying bills around the house. So that's probably the first thing. And you got to be realistic. If, if it's not possible for you to survive struggling for a little while, maybe, you know, owning your own business isn't, isn't the thing for you. And there's no shame in that. You could still make plenty of money off of your degree and, and your skill set that there is. But I think that's kind of the one thing to, to, that's one thing to keep in mind for, for people. And then the other thing is, you know, if you, if you are going to, start your own business is there room for you to grow is it just going to be you know is there is there an unlimited ceiling how big is your market you know is it an area where if everybody if every one of your target audience signs up for your service or pays for your service you know what is your what is your limit you know are you able to expand you know are you able to pivot and get into other you know have another product that you know isn't the exact same as yours but along the same lines where your audience is going to like it so I think you have to look at that, you know, ultimately the whole idea of having a business in addition to having all this free time, you know, hopefully that you have free time later on in life is that it's going to make you money. So if you are able to really grow and like exponentially grow, that's, that's a huge thing. And I would probably tell college students that if you're going to go the entrepreneurial route, make sure that there's a market big enough to, to what you're, what you're looking to do. That's great. What are some uh, what are some resources that you use? You know, maybe as you're in as you're in the uh, the business now, and you're a business owner, and you're trying to grow yourself. What are some resources, books, podcasts, etc., that you use to help you grow both professionally and personally? I'll say this day and age is great. I mean, with all the free information available, I, it almost makes me think if if college is going to be become obsolete at some point or at least enrollment is going to go down because you know you look at a lot of these great entrepreneurs that didn't go to college and not only did they not go but they're very vocal about you know why you shouldn't go you know guys like Mark Cuban but my you know my uh inspiration now I love Gary Vee he's very informative not and he's good for people in the beginning stages too because one his biggest thing is, you know, you haven't done anything yet, you know, uh-huh. or you're 19, you're 20 years old, you have no reason to not go for it. So I would highly recommend reading his books, you know, Jab, Jab, Hook uh, is a great one. Um, his, po- I mean, he puts out free YouTube videos all the time, his podcast. He's great. I would highly recommend him for, for baseball, sport fans, Brandon Steiner, um, who started Steiner Sports. He's got a very inspirational story, how he worked his way up to the top. You know, he was like working in the restaurants and he went into hotels and then he started selling, you know, the memorabilia. So those are things that kind of keep you going. And those are things that you need. You know, you need those inspirational stories because those are the reasons why you want to keep going. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's easy to give up. But when you hear about these guys that came from nothing and literally didn't even have two nickels to rub together and now they're like borderline billionaires, that's an to keep you going and it kind of puts things in perspective and you know it's like it's not really 
you know, that bad for me. So those are guys that I recommend just because of their message. You know, they're not like the Jordan Belforts that are like, oh, not successful unless you have a yacht or something. You know, Gary V is not that flashy kind of rich guy. He's more about the chase. And I think that's a, a great message to send to, to young, you know, aspiring business owners. I'm a big Gary V guy. Actually, before this interview, I was... I was tuning into his uh, Instagram live feed. Um, he's great. And I, a quote I heard yesterday from him is, um, the only thing from keeping you, the only thing keeping you from buying Porsche, the company is buying an actual Porsche. And in other words, he was saying, he was saying like, I don't need any nice things because I want to be the guy who buys the company, not the, what the company sells. Yeah. That reminds me like the last entourage episode when he's like, Hey, you want to, uh, you want to buy Cadillacs or you want to, or you, you want to be the company that owns that, you know, that's, that brings me back to that. It's, and it's, it's easier said than done. Believe me, it's, you want to celebrate your wins. You want to, you want to celebrate, you know, your accomplishments as they happen, not wait, which is the whole, human nature, you know, delayed gratification is not easy at all. And that's what those guys preach. So I think kids will really, you know, learn a lot from him. And, you know, you're not going to understand it the first time you listen to him, you're, inclination is to say oh was this guy no and then you read about him and you're like yeah i think he's uh he's qualified he knows his stuff oh yeah definitely um how can we help you here what's next how can we help you either personally or with or how can we help access um i would just say spreading the word you know i mean eventually we'll probably be outside of the long island area you know if there's anybody that loves baseball looking to be into journalism you know you could get them in contact with me maybe you know if they'd love to write uh, to cover some games or even if they just want to you know check up on what's going on in our area for right now we're just on long island but you know if you know anybody college baseball players could be a good resource for them great yeah we'll, def- we'll definitely be uh pushing the access baseball name out once we launch this interview um uh, how can if our listeners also want to reach out how can they get in touch with you with the, whether it's email instagram what are your social media handles so my email, just my name, Vinny, at accessbaseball.com, A-X-C-E-S-S, baseball. And then the um, Twitter account is at accessbaseball, and the Instagram is at access underscore baseball. For those of you listening, we'll make sure to link that up in the notes, the show notes here, so you can just just uh, click on the link and have full access to access baseball. <laughs> um, cheesy, cheesy joke there. Um, last question, Vinny. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but what's next for you? What's next for you and what's next for Access Baseball? Hmm. Well, right now in the short term, since it's the off season, my priority is finishing this deal. We're kind of in deal with an investor right now. Um, it's going to free up opportunity for me to do a lot more things that I want to do. Really just covering more games, having more of a budget to pay, you know, freelance writers or bring in a full-time guy. Um, we do a pod, um, a webisode on YouTube. So I have a producer for that, you know, got to pay, got to pay them, um, getting a bigger office. You know, there's a lot of things that I can do, I think to do a better job without even expanding outside of the Long Island area. So my, in the short term, definitely focused on, on finishing that so that it doesn't leak into the new year. Cause once January 1st hits, it's college previews, it's high school previews, it's rankings top players so i don't want to have to deal with you know any sort of financial issues when my focus should be on you know providing the best product 
for the audience. Great. Um, thank you so much, Vinny. For all of you listeners here, if you're a baseball fan, baseball player, um, or baseball writer, be sure to contact Vinny. Be sure to check out Access Baseball. Get involved. We sure are going to try to get involved as much as we can. Um, he's doing big things. So, Vinny, once again, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the podcast. We'll have to have a part two in the next in the next couple months or so. Uh, you let me know. I'll be available. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. And there you have it. It's Vinny Masano with his story, dropping some knowledge on us on how, how he's gone through adversity, through his injury, how he suffered um, you know, through a, a family loss, and how he picked himself up with a positive attitude to get back on track and, and do what he loves around the game he loves. Um, be sure to check Vinny out. Obviously, accessbaseball.com. That's access with A-X-C-E-S-S, baseball.com. Um, if you're interested in helping him out, interested in joining his baseball tournament, interested in attending some of his events, be sure to reach out to him. He's a great guy. Check out the show notes that we have on the, on the blog, and you can see, link up to all his info there. Thanks so much for, for listening. We'll see you next week.